everyone. Welcome to another TEDx UWA Thursdays episode on the UWA Alumni Voices podcast. I'm Jevin Palmer, the co-head of communications and sponsorships at TEDx UWA, as well as a current UWA student. I'm in my third year, third and final year of my undergraduate degree with majors in genetics and neuroscience. At TEDx UWA, we host TED-like talks focused on the impressive work and inspiring stories from UWA students, alumni, and researchers. We have teamed up with the Young Alumni Network to continue the conversation sparked by our UWA alumni speakers through this podcast series. Every fortnight, a TEDx UWA member will bring on a UWA graduate that has previously spoken at a TEDx UWA event to discuss their experience as a speaker and what they've been up to since their talk. In this episode, I will be joined by Belinda Tay. Belinda Tay graduated from UWA with a Bachelor of Laws and Commerce in 2016. Eight days after her last exam, her mother Maria was diagnosed with aggressive terminal breast cancer and Belinda became a full-time carer at age 23. Upon being told that she had weeks left to live, Maria asked for medical assistance to die peacefully twice, but her requests were refused as there was no such legal option in existence at the time in Australia. The traumatic circumstances of Maria's death motivated Belinda to walk 3,500 kilometres from Melbourne to Perth last year in support of the WA Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill, sparking conversations from around the country about a dying person's right to choose. The bill was passed by WA Parliament in December 2019 and will be available to eligible Western Australians from mid-2021. Belinda hopes for a future where there are more compassionate end-of-life choices for all Australians. So, Belinda, hello. How are you? Hi, Jevin. I'm well. Thank you for having me today. Oh, that's all good. So, what have you been up to in the past couple of months? In the last couple of months, well, I'll be super honest. After the campaign of a lifetime ended in December last year, um, I got really sick. Like, my body just kind of shut down. It was adrenaline. I was just running off adrenaline, basically, for 12 months. (laughs) So, I mean, it was nothing, like, life-threatening or serious. I just was very, very run down, and that showed in many different ways. So, the last few months, I've just been taking time off work, looking after myself, doing a bit of yoga, doing some swimming, doing some running, seeing friends, all the things that I didn't have time to do when you're campaigning for law reform. But it's been a really good few months, and um, I'm ready to kind of get back into action, I think. That's what I've been up to. Oh, awesome. That's good to hear. Um, So, I mean, of course, we know that the COVID pandemic has been happening the last couple of months. Mm. And, of course, that's really impacted how some people have been trying to get through um, work or travel or just, you know, the things that they've been doing. So was there any real, um, real impact that COVID had on you or your work or, you know, your day to day? Yeah. Um, Well, it actually coincided with me realising how sick I was. Um, And so how did COVID impact me? Uh, I hate to say this, but it really happened at the right time for me in in a sense that it was at a time when I really had to pull back from the public sphere. I really had to pull back from all the campaigning. It's all it was you know, almost like the universe forcing me to go into a little hidey hole for a few months. Um, luckily, we're in Western Australia, where we're now able to come out of that hidey hole somewhat. Yeah. Um, but, you know, how did COVID impact me? It kind of gave me even more reason to really hunker down, centre myself a little bit and really reflect on all the craziness that happened last year. I think if COVID hadn't happened, I probably would have just kept going. <laughs> um 
or I would have found more reasons to kind of just push myself a bit more and not take that time to recover from, you know, the physical, mental and, you know, emotional drain of last year. So I really hate to say this, but um, COVID came at the right time. It just, yeah, made me do what I really had to do, which was recover. But um, look, hasn't hasn't been a great thing for everyone. Also in terms of, because uh, I, I consider myself to be a part of the Australian community yeah. and the Australian community at the moment, there's lots of things happening around the country in terms of um, VAD law reform, sorry, voluntary assisted dying law reform in you know Tasmania, in Queensland, there's some movement, South Australia. What COVID kind of did for the advocates in other states mm-hmm. um, where VAD isn't an option is it kind of obviously took a lot of the oxygen out of all of this momentum that was building up Um, but that's a different story Uh, I think everyone's kind of struggled no matter what industry or or issue you're interested in Um, it's been a bit of a wild card and we've just been just trying to manage the best we can yeah yeah I mean I certainly had that impact like as a student it was all at home I mean I sort of you know laid back a little bit but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day you know I had to hunker down because I knew this was my final year so absolutely had to had to do something yeah awesome so moving on you graduated in your UWA in 2016 with a Bachelor of Laws and Commerce I did um so what was that university experience like for you like it's like four years ago now yeah so what was my university experience yeah, like, like anyway yeah. again so I'm um, no filter full honesty um I was not a model student uh I wasn't even a model sort of sociable student in terms of, I mean, I joined um, a UWA social club in my first year, Asian Students in Australia. That was really fun, uh, connected me with, you know, people from the same culture as me mm-hmm. and was a, a lovely way to really, um, you know, uh, fast track a lot of like social connections uh, yeah. in my first year that carried me through all the way to my sixth year. Um, but after that, I really kind of dropped off the radar a lot as a UWA student. I wish that I could say, oh, you know, I was prushing and I was yeah. going to all the camps. I went to a, f- a lot of the social balls, a lot of the social events and stuff. But I was off campus a lot because I was working in hospo. Yeah. The beauty of student life is that you can tailor it however you want. And the way that I chose to tailor my university experience, unfortunately, was um, I travelled every semester break, every year break. And in order to do that, I spent every weekend and all of my free time working in hospitality. Um, So I still really benefited from the UWA experience and had bits and pieces here and there that are really highlights of my 20s, my early 20s. Um, But yeah, I I wish I could say that I spent more time on campus because now in hindsight, um, I'm not here anymore. And I I see the difference that it makes when you know, when you have been really active on campus and you have, you know, had your foot in all of the amazing opportunities and amazing um, sort of like niche groups and like microcultures that exist at UWA. I kind of wish that I'd like done that more, but you can't have everything, you know, like um, I would have had to trade traveling to like 40 different countries for, you know, (laughs) being more involved here on campus. But um, I don't know if that answers your question. I I guess I enjoyed my time here as a UWA Mm. student, but um, in some way, I wish that I had been, yeah, more involved on campus. Yeah. So, yeah, good on you for doing everything that you're doing. You're doing it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, in first year, I didn't know what I was doing. So it only yeah. really hit me at the end of second year and now that yeah. I was like, oh, okay, there's so many clubs here. For sure. There's so many societies and events that I could go to. Mm. That was, um, yeah, so I'm doing that all now. And good, it's all, good. It's 
That's all I it's think never too late, exactly. unless you're me, way too late. <laughs> <laughs> so old. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so I'm currently doing a Bachelor of Biomedical Science, mm-hmm. um, and I don't really get that much exposure to, you know, arts, commerce, mm. economics, that sort of thing. So I'm interested to really find out what made you choose law and commerce as opposed to a science degree. What made me choose law and commerce as opposed to a science degree? Hated science in (laughs) high school. Sorry. (laughs) This is why you're doing what you do and I did what I did. Everyone is different. Everyone excels in something different. Um, Hated science and maths and just really, yeah, listened in to what made me bored as heck in high school and what really made me come alive. Um, why did I study law and commerce? Well, the law bit's easy. Um, yeah, in high school, obviously, that's when you choose your your university mm-hmm. choices and preferences. I found myself absolutely loving English homework. So nerdy. Yep. Um, loved English literature, loved arguing, loved communicating, loved um, constructing really well-written essays so that you yeah. can communicate a point or explore different issues. Um, law and, you know, um, I'm from an Asian background yes. and there's a, you know, Probably everyone knows that joke where if you come from an Asian family, they either expect you to be a lawyer, a doctor, or an engineer. I hate blood, so couldn't be a doctor. I hate math, couldn't be an engineer. So lawyer seemed like the right choice. choice. Um, And I ironically thought that I was going to be a politician. And so enrolled for law and arts with a major in political science. So I got through that and, you know, love justice and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then, yeah, dropped social, uh, political science like a hot potato after the first year because I couldn't, yeah, I just, yeah, couldn't take the first year of political science. studies. You realise that the political system is somewhat twisted yep. and always in need of improvement and necessary in society, but kind of lost my faith in it and then jumped to commerce mm-hmm. yep, yep. Um, and then ended up being in politics anyway. So, yeah, um, I've always been more drawn to interpersonal sort of arts things, I guess. Mm. Yeah, just acknowledging that that's my personality. Yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it's good to get that exposure now. And I'm like, okay, now yeah. I understand why some people don't like science and so they choose an arts degree yeah. or a commerce degree. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, and from there, now, you, as I mentioned earlier, you were a speaker at last year's TEDx UWA conference. I was. Um, and uh, some other listeners may not know what you've been talking about, you know, what your... Um, talk was on. So would you mind giving us a quick rundown of what your talk was about last year? Sure. Okay, well, this is going back a bit because it was October last year, yep. wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, year. rundown of what my talk was about. Well, um, as you said in your little intro bit, um, finished my degree. My mum was diagnosed with a terminal illness and uh, from quite early, well, as soon as she kind of got news that there was no more medical options, she started making requests for assistance to die peacefully. Mm-hmm. So there I am, a fresh UWA grad, 23 years old, with little to no well, no medical experience, really, yeah. except for when I go to the GP and talk to him about whatever. <laughs> um, and so what was my TEDx talk about? It was about basically tracking my journey from, you know, my mum telling me, well, oh, in front of the doctor, she said, mm-hmm. you know, I've got a terminal illness and I would like assistance to die peacefully. Um, and just sort of, I talked through in my TEDx talk what I did with that information because yeah. uh, two months after, oh, two months after Mum was diagnosed, she died really badly. So knowing that she had requested a course of action or requested an ending that was refused because it was illegal yep. in Australia at the time, and then seeing the effect 
that that had on her and me and my whole family, which was Dime's really traumatic, um, distressing death mm. with a lot of pain and suffering. Um, and I basically, in my TEDx talk, explained how I then sounds really odd saying it now. I then decided to walk from Melbourne to Perth um, to campaign for law reform in Western Australia so that if we could rewind time and give my mum that option, then that was what I was walking for. Mm. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell what I did. And so the TEDx talk was about the fact that I would not have taken that walk. I would not have taken that decision unless my mum had shown social courage. So the whole TEDx talk was about social courage. And to me, I define social courage as um, the kind of courage that's required when you know that you need to do something because you believe it's the right thing to do. You know that you need to do something because it's what you believe in. But you're scared of doing it because there are social repercussions. And I think in the TEDx talk, it was like humiliation, rejection, exclusion. Um, I had some examples like, you know... um, when, you know, if you've got a best friend who um, has trouble coming out of the closet because he's scared of being excluded and rejected and humiliated or, um, you know, if you've got a sister that, you know, she's had an abortion and scared to tell your parents because of that social aspect, the social mm-hmm. repercussions. So social, there's, there's all types of courage, yep. but the type of courage that I believe that my mum showed was social courage, which was she made these requests for assistance, even though she knew that, it was illegal. Um, it was uh, unacceptable as a Catholic woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, there's so many things I can say about that. But, yeah, uh, just unacceptable socially on so many levels. And yeah. yet she still asked for it. And I think the really unique thing about social courage is that it's so contagious. I was the only person in the room when she asked her doctor, or two different doctors, actually, a few days apart for this kind of assistance and the effect that it has on that it had on me like when you know that the the stakes are so high in terms of you know this person it doesn't sound like a lot you know yeah, it doesn't yeah. sound like a lot to be humiliated it doesn't sound like a lot to be judged but it totally is and oh. the effect that that had on me knowing that what she was putting herself up for at a moment when she was at the mercy of other people, the doctors, yeah. like the family who were looking after her, I found that so amazing and I couldn't help but replicate that. And that's how, um, that's what led me to do this walk. And yeah. um, I'm very happy to say that I helped to change the law in the state where I live. Oh, wow. So, yeah. yeah. Big steps, big steps. That's I it. mean, I knew I was a member of the audience last year, so I watched that talk. Um, and I had my friend with me as well. And by the end of the talk, you know, she had tears in her eye. And, you know, she was very... Um, she was quite uh, emotional after that talk, and I knew mm. I was like, okay, this is something important. Like, I mean, uh, before that, I didn't really have mm. much of an exposure to voluntary assisted dying, but after mm. that, I knew I was like, okay. Wow, this, amazing! Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. No, that's all good. Lovely. Um, and I mean, of course, as a member, I saw the final product. Mm. I saw your talk. I saw you know the audience, um, but I didn't. I mean, of course, I didn't get to see the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to see the preparation that you went through, um, all the drafts, all the speaker um, training, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So how did you find the preparations for the talk for TEDxUWA? Terrifying. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it was like 16 minutes, yeah. no palm cards. Oh, <laughs> we had the clicker for the um, for the images. So, you yeah. could, so that was kind of like cheating in a way because yeah. when the image is there, that's when you oh, you prompt it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was I was so determined to do a good job. I'm like, this is TEDxUWA. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter to me that it's not like TED California or whatever. It's like, it's TEDxUWA. Yeah. Like, this is a big deal. You guys work so hard yeah. and it's like a really exciting day. 
So I started preparing like straight away and it was, I'm such a last minute. This was a yeah. miracle. So <laughs> I had a draft ready weeks in advance, which mm-hmm. unheard of for me. And then I rewrote the whole thing like 10 days before and then had to memorize the whole thing 10 days before because I don't know, it was such a emotional thing. And I mean, I finished, so I started walking in May last year, finished in August and then TEDx was in October and yeah. I was still really processing what the heck had happened. And so I think that really showed when I was drafting this thing and I hadn't really cemented in my mind how I actually felt about it. And it was only when I wrote the first draft and realized that it really, it's actually so... The, the process of preparing my TEDx talk actually really helped me to um, solidify and really, like, crystallise how I actually felt. Yeah. Um, there was... I have a, a really dear friend of mine who always helps me with editing, like, my speeches and, and, like, writing and stuff. And actually, he put it to me when I put put up the first draft, well, Belinda, your mum didn't show any social courage because only yeah. one person saw it, the doctor and, I guess, you... So she didn't actually show much courage because it's just one person. Courage is when you show lots of people. And I sat there and I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, courage is when you show lots. You have to show it to lots of people. That's yeah. that's silly. So I, I cut it out of my talk and then rewrote the, like, wrote the first draft. And I'm reading it and reading it. And I'm like, well, no, I actually really disagree with that. Mm-hmm. I actually think that it doesn't matter how many people see well, social courage anyway. Um, it doesn't matter if it's in front of a crowd of a million people or yep. to one person, every act of, of courage counts. So I think probably counts for every every type of courage. You've got yeah. you know, emotional courage or like physical courage or whatever. Um, and I think it does have that um, amplifying effect. And so, yeah. so then I got, not like angry, but I guess kind of was overcome by this sort of rebuttal kind of attitude and yeah. then just rewrote the whole thing overnight. Um Nothing like a bit of, you know, prodding to kind of get your inspirational creative juices going. Um, and then, yeah, I had this talk that I was really much happier with and delivered that. So and I, it was a miracle that I remembered all the lines. There was one point during the end of the talk when yeah. um, I almost, like, lost the lines. And you can see me, like, it looks like I'm about to cry, but I'm just concentrating really hard. So that was that's the behind the scenes. But I hope you oh couldn't God. tell that I... Like, <laughs> that yeah. it, like, just, you know, winged it for the last 10 days. No, I mean, it certainly didn't show. Like, we saw the final product, so we were like, oh, okay, this is awesome. Like, Great. Good I'm talk, glad. good talk. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, um, and, I mean, it's a talk, right? We were at a conference, whole day sort of thing, mm. but is it was the experience that you had with TEDx Everyday different to other types of advocacy that you've done while you were um, advocating for Voluntary Assisted Day? Yeah, I think every engagement that I've done has been different. It was mm-hmm. kind of different being back at UWA. It kind of felt like coming full circle in a way. Yeah. You know, you go through as a student at UWA and you're surrounded by absolute geniuses mm. who are doing like neuroscience or <laughs> whatever. Okay. Like, Because I, I, I went to law school, so everybody yeah. is amazing. You know, yeah. that I went to law school and there were people like, you know, working for the Human Rights Commission mm-hmm. and like traveling to Cambodia and saving orphans and all this kind of stuff. And you're sitting there like, wow, you kind of feel sometimes when you have that unhealthy habit like me of comparing yourself to other people and thinking, yeah. well, wow, I could never do that or am I ever going to make a difference? I think yeah. that is something that um, it's a question that I always ask myself. And, like, you know, I'm, I'm studying this degree that should give me the tools mm-hmm. to go and, you know, create a better society and stuff, but when am I ever going to do that? Like, yeah. is that ever going to happen? Um, but, yeah, it turns out that, that, that it did happen and it was cool to be able to come back to this place where I carried a lot of self-doubt, I think, um, in UWA, constantly mm. surrounded by these super smart people. Like it's like you know, 
it's like the best university in Western Australia yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so it was cool to kind of come back and be like, well, yeah, I did do something. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like just some idiot that managed to weasel her way into UWA. And like, yeah. So it was good. It was yeah. good to come back. And um, But so how's that different from the other forms mm-hmm. of advocacy I did? You know, the other organisations, whether it was like a, a Channel 7 interviewer yeah. or, um, you know, a newspaper or whatever, like a woman's group. I had no prior connection to right. them, so they, I didn't feel that I couldn't sort of reflect on the way that I've grown in mm-hmm. that period. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was cool to come back to UWA. I was very grateful that um, that um, the UD, uh, TEDx UWA team emailed me and gave me the invitation to actually come yeah. back. I was like, oh! It was like, <laughs> yeah, it was very flattering. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's great. Because, yeah. I mean, even if you weren't a model student while you were in your undergrad or your postgrad, like mm. every single thing that you do after or during that has an impact and, you know, here you are today, mm. right? You've done so much, mm. and it's really, really inspiring for everyone who, at this point, is going through that sort of struggle in Thank undergrad you. as well. Maybe it'll be you giving a TEDx talk. <laughs> maybe you'll like invent. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you'll create like the, um, like the cure for coronavirus. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's that's several years down the track. But yeah, yeah. you know, you never know what could happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and moving on from TEDx, uh. You, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, in your campaign to support vol, uh, the West Australian Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill, mm. um, you walked 3,500 kilometres from Melbourne to Perth. Mm-hmm. Like, what made you choose to do a walk um, for 3.5k as opposed to... Oh, sorry, 3,500k. Yeah. As opposed to, I don't know, a triathlon or... Um, like a bicycle ride or something like that. I was so bloody angry. I was just so bloody angry and just full of a lot of negative, toxic energy and emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry, I live in Freer, so I I speak speak hippie language sometimes. (laughs) Might have to, like, put some captions or translate it for the podcast. But, um, yeah, I was just carrying a lot of negative energy. And, uh, like, for example, if I have a fight with my husband, I'll go for a walk and then come back and feel better. And so this was just that times (laughs) 3,500. I was just so upset. And um, I remember sitting there thinking, what can I do? What could ever, what could ever manifest and express Mm -hmm. just how traumatized and like pain stricken I feel and, you know, express like all of this disappointment that I felt and, um, you know, all these terrible emotions about my mom, like what could ever, I just felt like doing the most extravagant but not like attention seeking, but just an expression of just how much pain it had caused me and my family and yeah. my mum. It only made sense to mm. walk from Melbourne to Perth. It's like the biggest thing you can do. Yeah. Um, and also just a bit of background info for people who haven't watched the TED Talk. Um, voluntary assisted dying. So my mum asks for voluntary assisted dying in on March 14, 2016. Mm-hmm. And then it became available in Victoria on the other side of the country on like, I think it was July, June the 19th or July 19th. God, it's been a while. Sorry. Um, I think it was June 19 that yep. year. So I'm sitting in my, I'm sitting at home folding my laundry and I hear this news, oh, you know, ABC News, like in Victoria, mm-hmm. they have just, you know, it's just become available. Like you can, you can have voluntary assisted dying and it just, I dropped my socks and was just kind of like, why over there and not over yeah. here is so close you can bloody walk there. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, just decided <laughs> to make a point, you know, and um, I did study commerce at yep. UWA. I did a entrepreneurship um, major, which people told me was useless, but I ended up using it because, oh, um, you know, you did a bit of marketing and communications. And I think yep. that um, it hit all those points as well, like from a purely strategic sort of um, campaigning perspective. 
um, number one, it was in line with my values and, and what I wanted to say. But number two, it had, you know, wow value. And yep. um, yeah, it was some, it was sort of something that nobody can really attack you. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that was really important. I didn't want to be attacking anyone and I didn't want to expose myself to um, to any criticism. And I just, I think that I was just really lucky that everything just kind of lined up, really. Yeah. It just made sense. It was, it seemed, look, why did I choose to walk and not do a math? It just made sense. Yeah. It seemed like the only logical thing to do. Yeah, I mean, sometimes there's no reason per se as to why you did it. it just yeah. happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about why... You did it now. What was it like after you decided to do it? Uh, so between deciding I was going to do it and doing it. Yeah, and also, I guess, from there, what it was like on the walk itself. What was it like on yeah. the walk itself? Oh, God. So I slept for, like, four hours a night That that for that whole of last year. It's how I got, like, so yeah. sick. My body was so run oh, down. No. Um, I remember... I remember, um, oh, God, one of the highlights was, like, you know, what was it like Mm. um, during that time? I remember, so my walk was um, done in partnership with Go Gentle Australia, which is, like, the Australian... So Andrew Denton, you may or may not know, Mm -hmm. um, he founded this organisation to sort of lead the way for Australia in terms of, you know fighting for law reform in this particular area. And um, I remember getting an email from from Andrew. Um, that was probably one of the most surreal moments. No, actually, even more surreal was when we did, like, a Skype catch-up. Oh, yeah. And, like, Andrew didn't have always seen on TV. Yeah. But he never talks back. He's just talking to the person in front of him. <laughs> but then, like, I opened my computer and put on Skype and, like, we had a Skype yeah. call. And then, like, for the first time in my life, the person actually talked to me through the... Through the through the yeah, screen, yeah, yeah. it was like imagine like Madonna just starts talking to you. Oh my god! Yeah, it was just very strange. It was like an out of body experience. Yeah, that was that was really weird. Um, and that was just the beginning. That was sort of got the ball rolling, and then mm-hmm. one thing led to another, and then you know they provided all of the logistics and the funding for my walk, and um, the walk itself was doable and bearable. Yeah, because of them, you know, um, what was it like? I was walking at five kilometers per hour, okay. up to eight hours a day for seventy days between May and August. Started yep. in. Melbourne finished in Perth, and my husband, um, we got married in February this year, so my fiancé at the time, mm-hmm. um, was going along behind me with this van that was, you know, supplied by GoGenes Australia, and Floyd had his his foot on the accelerator going at five yeah. kilometres per hour behind me. That was that was the <laughs> 70 days. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, didn't sleep a lot and was just every day woke up hoping that this was all going to go somewhere mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not knowing if it was going to and knowing that if I failed or that if, you know, if I didn't make my point or if people... Yep. I thought that it was completely um, possible that people would just ignore me, that I would email Channel 7 and be like, hey, yeah. let's do an interview or, hey, like, this is what I'm doing and they'd just be like, yeah, that's boring. We've got, like, bushfires or something to cover, you know, like, something way <laughs> yeah, more important. Of course. Um, but, yeah, it didn't end up being that way at all and I think it's just because we, I had such good people around me, um, mm-hmm. supported by the amazing people at Go Gentle. Um, it was hard. Uh, emotionally, it was so much harder. Physically, it was easy. Mm-hmm. You just had to walk. You had yeah. to walk a lot. But um, yeah. because I had such good logistical support and my husband was there every step of the way, literally, mm-hmm. um, the hardest thing was the emotional thing. And I think one way I guess I could sum it up is, you know, you have a really bad day, like you get fired or you fail an exam yeah. or you you get the measles or mm-hmm. you get food poisoning or something, something terrible happens yeah. and you just feel like absolute crap. The first thing you do is you pick up your phone and you might call someone and usually that's your mum, especially yeah. if, you're, if you're a female. 
and I couldn't do that. And every day of that year was like sometimes the hardest day. Yeah. So that was really hard. But um, I think that also built a lot of character for me Mm -hmm. and made me realise that I can rely on myself and the people around me. So um, what was it like last year? I don't know if that answers the question. Hectic. Yeah. Super hectic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And of course, you end up doing the walk amazing you know you advocated for so much um and it really um, spurred a movement in wa Mm. um and in your talk there was a line that really um resonated with me and towards the end you um you were talking about uh social change and you said uh when we see social courage in front of us it's like nothing else it's like someone knocking on the door of your conscience that you've never had to open and saying that it's okay it's safe for you to come out now because you're not alone Mm. Uh, and i really loved that part of the talk um i'm glad and you know, I just wanted to see what that line or what that bit was to you, like what the meaning was behind that phrase. Oh, it's been so long since I heard that phrase. I was like, <laughs> do it right there. Yeah. Wow, cool. So what was the meaning? Like, why did I choose that? Yeah, like, like, how did that come yeah. about? So I don't know. I think I've just realised um, I'm a super progressive girl. Mm-hmm. So, you know, living Frio, pretty hippie. Um, voluntary assisted dying, what I saw happen in the course of the campaign was like, I started off thinking, holy moly, my mum died like a twitchy cockroach. And that's quite, so not yeah. something that you share a lot of the time. Yeah. And uh, it's not, I felt so alone. I felt that I was literally shut in this room with no one else in it and that I couldn't come out of this room and share it. Like, I don't think I told my best friend about it until, like, a year later. Oh, and that wow. was, like, when I was going to do the campaign. Yeah. Um, you feel so isolated when you have gone through something or that you believe that things should be different. Mm-hmm. But you're too scared to tell other people because you'll be judged for it. So yeah. if you rewind back to before voluntary assistance dying was, like, a thing in yeah. Australia. If I came up to you, like, let's say we're friends or you know me or whatever, yeah. no matter how close we are, and I'm like... Yeah, you know, my mum died really badly, and um, I think that people should be able to take control of the end of their lives, and um, you know, like they do in um, you know, whatever jurisdiction, and you know, yeah. uh, ingest a lethal medication for the good of their, you know, to be, to be able to not have to suffer because they're going to die in pain anyway, and that's what I think. It's like you would never have that conversation because you're terrified the other person will call you a murderer and and judge you and yeah. think that you know you're suicidal and call lifeline. I don't know, like. Yeah. Um, sorry, this is getting a bit heavy, but, um, yeah, like when I think that there are times for, um, there are times when you believe in progressive change that you, yeah, it is very isolating. And then as I started to share my story, much to how terrified Mm -hmm. I was about it, I saw that liberating effect that it had on other people, much the way that my mum was terrified about sharing what she thought. That liberated me. And then slowly as I started sharing the way that I felt about it, you know, people would come up to me in the corner of a room after like a meet and greet and be like, yeah. oh, my God, I totally agree with you. And it could have been a 70-year-old woman or it could have been a 14-year-old, oh, not 14, maybe, so like 24-year-old yeah. uni student. And like it just grew and grew it could be almost uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. And then it all culminated like if people just go online and Google like, you know, Belinda's Brave Walk, August the 6th yeah. or whatever, exploded and like 300 people are walking with me outside Parliament House and... All because of this social courage concept, I yeah. believe. I mean, there's yeah. probably different ways you can explain it. But, um, yeah, like, you know, when you believe in something and that belief in itself is isolating, when you share that with other people, 
it makes them realize they're not alone. It's so yeah. powerful. And I think I kept that line till the end because I think you can apply it to so many things. Yeah. Um, I think you could apply it to things like uh, something so basic. Well, for me, it's basic. Mm-hmm. Um, same-sex marriage rights. Yeah. Um, if you and we we've seen this sort of take over the world um, yeah. now it's you know it's legal in so many um, so many countries around the world that are really like cultural leaders in the world. Um, I think that yeah it's just it's just a concept that's applicable to so many progressive I mean left leaning mm-hmm. um, yeah. things and I mean you could also use that in the opposite sense you could say you know if you're conservative you can also do that but yeah. I think that there's a different type of courage that's required when you're trying to change the status quo Um, and I think I mean look I'm not going to make political statements about the nature of TEDx or Mm Uteway or anything like that but I think that there were a lot of people at TEDx Uteway I mean I got a standing ovation so (laughs) um, and most of the people were setting up like I like to think that TEDx Uteway people get it Mm -hmm. that they are supporters a lot of the time of changing the status quo provided it's for the benefit of the community in their in their own beliefs um, so yeah, I'm glad that that resonated with you. Yeah. I think it re- it probably is a message that resonates with young people, especially. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and adding on to that, uh, social change is such a contagious thing, as you've talked about. Mm. Um, and it really only takes one person to elicit the change, and one person to witness the act, and mm. you know, add on to that, propagate it. Um, so what advice would you give to current UWA students or future UWA students? who want to start advocating for change, uh, probably in like the social, political um, spheres or what they're passionate about at the end mm. of the day. Um, yeah, what advice would you give them? First piece of advice would be, so, so hippie and Pisces of me, um, follow your passion. Mm-hmm. Um, know what makes you tick. Yep. I really listen in and, you know, if I think there's probably an example I've, I gave before, which is like... Um, if you're in the street and you see a woman being abused by someone, it doesn't have to be a man, it could be abused by another woman, yeah. um, or you see someone's safety in danger, if that riles you up, mm. if that makes you angry, if that makes you feel like this is not right, yeah. listen to that. That's probably something that you're passionate about. You might not know why at that mm. particular point in time. Or if you see someone dropping rubbish on the floor, if yeah. that makes you super angry, I don't know, follow that and explore, like, is that because you're more like, you know, you're into, like, social civic duties responsibilities or is it like the the environmental thing maybe you're a closet environmental absolute nerd fanatic and you just don't know it yet um first piece of advice would be yeah understand take some time to understand yourself and explore what it is you're passionate about because from there if you're coming from a place that um that is genuine and true to yourself you never run out of the energy um or the the inspiration unless you're like me and you sleep four hours a night for a year (laughs) and then you come crashing down um, so, you know, what should UWA or young people um, do if they want to get involved in advocacy? So step one, um, take the time to get to know yourself and what you're passionate about. Step two, take that passion that you have now, you know, refined and like understood a little bit better. And um, just sort of, there's two different ways you can do it. You can either, you know, go the standard way of, you know, you Google environmental society UWA or, mm. you know, Violence Against Women, um, you know, Anti-Violence Against Women Society, Perth. And then you go and you find like-minded people in the subject that you're interested in. 
Um, and then you will automatically find amazing opportunities and so many opportunities, no matter what niche it is, yep. to be an advocate, to you know do a rally, to you know get signatures for something, raise money, volunteer. Yep. And that's a very easy way to do it or very straightforward way of doing it. Um, but on the other hand, I would also say stay open and keep your eyes open for opportunities to be an agent for social change outside of the of something that looks very organized and yeah. um standard like you know i ended up being this advocate for voluntary assisted dying but i there was no voluntary assisted dying society at uwa yeah. it was just yeah. um yeah i actually got contacted by someone in the campaign and you know they said you know we we heard what happened to your mum and that you're very passionate about, you know, that you want to see change. Um, would you like to come in and, and work with us for the campaign? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, just be open to um, opportunities that you might not expect to come up in the way that they do. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's really, um, really something to think about. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Um, and, you know, you've been talking about social courage and that, of course... Um, takes a while for some people to um, come out and uh, impact their lives and other people's lives. Mm -hmm. Did you, as a student, try to make a change at university or, you know, has uh, the social courage and social change made an impact in your life now rather than at uni? I'm lost, sorry. (laughs) So (laughs) the question is, like, did social courage change me while I was at uni or after? Yeah, so did you try to make... Uh, did you try to um, uh, go through some social change or did you try to make social change at uni and has that had an impact on you now Mm, as an adult? Did I try to create social change at uni? To be honest, I think I really used my time at EWA when I was studying here. Um, I think I was doing that first step, which was listening in on what I actually care about and trying to fulfil my needs um, of, like, the need to explore, Mm -hmm. the need to, like, learn about other cultures and to listen in on what I was actually passionate about. So to, yeah. to be very honest, I don't know if this is a good answer or not. No, I don't think I really did try to create much social change when I was yeah. at EWA. I was, um, you know, finishing my degree and also just where I was in my own personal journey. Yeah. Um, I was still figuring it out, I think. I mean, you know, well, I started when I was 18, finished when I was yeah, 23. So that's kind of a time when you're experimenting, yeah. um, meeting lots of new people and learning new things every day. Um I mean, I guess in a perfect world, I would have been a more of a, an advocate for social change while I was here. But I think, yeah. I think that is why it is so important to before you launch yourself into. I mean, you can you can you volunteer for anything and everything, um, but in some way, I guess you know, the way that I did it was I first listened in and tried to satisfy those sort of curiosities first and then was able to because I I was so clear about what I believed in and what I was passionate about Mm -hmm. I was much more effective I guess than if I had just you know volunteered for the homeless and the environment and all the all the normal things you would do um yeah everybody I think that you know they say that um everybody is a politician but not everyone's a parliamentarian I think Um, everybody has got the capacity to create social change, but it might just not happen when you think that it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, I think in my case anyway, I think there's something really bad had to happen to me <laughs> before I jumped in and did this huge social change thing, yeah. um, which unfortunately can be the case. Um, but, yeah, I, I hope I made up for it. I hope I made up for not doing so much social change stuff when I was at UWA. No, for sure. I mean, it takes 
for some people, you know, in uni, as you said, they were experimenting, you know, it doesn't solidify then, but mm. afterwards it really has an impact on themselves and on the community and, like, yeah. it takes... Sometimes it takes a while yeah, for people right. to instill that social courage and yeah. social change. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as, you know, you've been um, talking about voluntary assisted dying, um, and it's, of course, it's legal now in Western Australia, but mm. have there been any other updates in other states around the world? Have, oh, not states around the world, states around Australia. Yeah. Have there been any updates? So, updates. The biggest one I would say at the moment is the fact that in Tasmania, mm-hmm. the um, there's a voluntary assisted dying bill there that has progressed to the committee stage. Oh, wow. So, it was introduced yeah. in the upper house uh, and passed by a majority, which means now they're going through the proposed bill line by line mm-hmm. and then we'll go to the um, lower house if it um, yeah there's like this whole process there so that is the furthest that they've gotten in terms of um, I think oh, I've got to, I've really got to go back and sort of update myself what's been going on but um, I don't think it's ever progressed that far yeah. in in Tasmania so it's looking it's looking good so far mm. um, but that's why it's you know we kind of had this mantra during the WA campaign that, you know, it's not over till it's over. Yeah. So, you know, everyone's sort of trying to encourage everyone in Tasmania to keep keep up the, the good work and to keep mm-hmm. going and to keep going because as soon as you let your guard down, that's when, you know, you don't want it to slip yeah. um, the momentum yeah. and everything. So, yeah, Tasmania's one to watch. Um, mm-hmm. Don't want to say too much because like, I get really excited about, you know, the potential for change and, yeah, yeah it's just really important to... Like check yourself so that you don't get too ahead of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Campaigns are an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Tasmania is one to watch. There's some movement in the other states as well, but um, look, this is going to take a while. Yeah. Um, and uh, Victoria, they recently did a review of their first year of the law, um, the enacted law being in um, being in in use. Yeah. Um, I think they had like 120 something people who actually did utilise the the law yeah. that were eligible, and you know it was fully you know they there's no blind spots or anything. They mm-hmm. they monitor everything and, and record everything. Um, and the report came back saying you know that the system was working as it should be. So those are some um, really encouraging. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good relief to know that that's the, the state of things. Um, and then here in Western Australia, we're just waiting for next year. I mean, we're waiting, but there's people behind the scenes working really hard yeah. um, to make sure that when the law is implemented, I um, think mid-next year, um, that everything happens according to, you know, the plan. So, yeah, yeah there's things that are kind of ticking along. But, um, yeah, here in Western Australia, nowhere near as hectic as it was last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, small changes, but permanent yeah permanent big changes yeah. at the end of the day absolutely awesome so thank you Valinda, for taking the time to talk to me today um yeah, and me. thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the podcast um our next episode of tedx Yorbier thursdays comes out in two weeks uh and we'll be speaking to our 2019 student guild president conrad hogg uh who'll be interviewed by scott de silva uh you can stay up to date with tedx Yorbier through facebook instagram twitter and linkedin And we do have our annual conference coming up soon, so make sure to stay tuned in to our social media accounts. Uh, Belinda, would you like to let the audience know where they can follow you or any pages or uh, accounts that you'd like for them to know about? Um, So I would say that the best place, if people have, like, listened to the podcast or the TEDx talk and they've kind of got questions about voluntary assisted dying, because it's quite a lot to digest. Yeah. Um, If you've got questions or concerns or whatever, just want to know a bit more info, the best place to go, I think, at the moment would be the Go Gentle Australia um, 
uh, resources. So mm-hmm. there's a website. Go to, just Google. We're all we're all uni <laughs> students here. Google Go Gentle Australia. You'll find the website, the Twitter, you know, yep. the Instagram, um, and the Facebook page. Lots of really good information there, and it kind of keeps you updated on what like the developments around okay. Australia. Also in New Zealand, that's something I forgot oh, right. to mention. They're having a referendum. Um, quite soon about uh, whether or not voluntary assisted dying should be available in New Zealand. Yeah. So that's a big one. Um, but yeah, it's a really good place to go. I've also got, you know, if you Google Belinda's Brave Walk, if you're curious about the stuff that I did last year, yep. you'll find like my Facebook and Instagram and stuff. I'm not using it at the moment because I am taking a break. But yep. if people want to see like the videos up there, we did like a Facebook live video of um, us walking through the streets of Perth oh, nice. and from Kings Park to Parliament House on the day that the bill was introduced. So, um, yeah, some good memories and stuff. But, um, yeah, that's the past. And I think, yeah, just looking forward into the future, like, you know, it's not about the walk anymore. It's about, yeah. you know, all of the, like, Australians that could potentially benefit if we keep doing this. So, yeah, I would hit up um, Go Gents Australia on Google and then find all the social links that way. Awesome, awesome. Um, and before we finish the podcast, would, did you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners? Uh, <laughs> I'm not a very wise person, so I'm not really sure what to say. I think, well, this is going to be, it's going to be UWA students listening to this, right? Yep. Everything will be fine. <laughs> Don't nice. worry. Just finish your degree and everything will be fine. Um, and do lots of social stuff at UWA because I wish I'd done more. Um, but yeah, it's never too late. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Belinda. Thank and you. And thank you to our listeners. Um, we will end our podcast there. Thanks for having me. Thank you.